Hello and welcome back to episode 30 of Double Reel. This is the second reel of our monthly magazine-style podcast for film nerds. Hopefully you've caught up with the first reel, had a brief intermission, and refueled ready to take on this mighty second instalment of Nerdy Film Chat. If you haven't caught the first reel yet, please do go back to your app and download and listen to it so you're up to date with all the features we've covered already this month. These include our roundup of news and spotlight on some of the films we watched this month, our classic and recommended feature Get Shorty, our hidden gem Annihilation, the one that got away about Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, and our remake Hate Watch of Cape Fear. We apologise for any topical references we made in the previous episode 48 hours ago, which have already been superseded by the news. Now in Real 2, we bring you our big conversation where we tackle a weighty topic and give it a fuller, i.e. longer discussion. First, a very warm welcome back to my co-host, James Adamson. Uh, thank you very much for the warm welcome. Good to be back. Good to still be in a job, unlike Liz Truss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at this point, we should just give it to Sam Allardyce till the end of the season. <laughs> Yeah, but it won't be the Sam Allardyce who stays to the end of the season. It'll be the Sam Allardyce who has a big glass of wine, gets caught on camera and gets sacked <laughs> after one game. That's what we're going to fucking get. Yes, good. <laughs> Still less corrupt than everyone in charge right now. But. I know, fucking hell. All right, this month our big conversation continues the theme of this month's episode, Second Chance Cinema. What we wanted to do in the big conversation is pick some films that we would like to redo. There was some potential for them to be better than they were. They were disappointing. They didn't work out. They needed something different done to them. Um, and we just want to say, look, this is what we would have done to make it better from the comfort of our armchairs. And um, interestingly, having talked about this, we, we think this is something we might slot in here and there on a, on a case-by-case basis on our remakes. You know, after a couple of minutes talking about a remake we didn't like, we we'll, may well throw in a, a remake we'd like to have seen done you know, you know, sim- whatever theme we're doing for the episode or what we you know, general topic, we'll say, yeah. And uh, what remake could could we have done instead? Because um, we quite enjoyed coming up with some ideas for this. I hope you enjoy the ideas we've come up with. Um, so our sort of uh, examples, you may well have examples of your own. Uh, please get in touch if you feel like you, uh, you'd like to. A couple of people weighed in on the, uh, on the, uh, the, the listeners' messages already. Um, but James wanted to look at a couple of animated films that uh, he felt had potential to do better, Titan AE and Atlantis, The Lost Empire. Um, I want to talk about Alien 3. It's been much talked about before, but I'd like to weigh in with my thoughts on it. And then together we're going to look at episodes 7, 8 and 9 of Star Wars, which uh, we think could have been done better as well. Um, so, so James... Um, this was kind of your idea. What's the what's the thinking behind you know redoing this film so it's better? I mean, I mean my my thoughts on this were, I think what I've done for this is contemporaneously not redo it now, but how it could have been redone better then. But I mean, freehand, how, whatever, however you want to do it. I mean, it's two two animated films. You could you could recommend doing them differently today, or you you know, or you thinking of what they could have done differently, like at the time. Um. I don't suppose I have a proper response to as to why I came up with this. I just I watched Titan AE and Atlantis recently and thought these films are shit. I remember enjoying them as a kid, but thought these are really good ideas, and they're really interesting um, films, and they could have been done better. Yeah, and I'd like to see a director maybe like make a live action version of these films and um, you know bring it to a kind of more modern audience. Audience, sorry. Um, in terms of why, I can't. I suppose we should probably just get into what was good about the film, what was bad about the film, and what we would do better. Um, just for each of them. Obviously, you've got a lot to say about Alien Three, so I'll try and give each film a a fair a fair go. So for okay. Titan AE, for anyone who's not seen Titan AE, 
it was an animated film back in the day that had a lot of money thrown at it for you know back in the day. It's set in like the year three three one zero zero. You know, it's like this. a thousand years in the future. It's, yeah, it's it? like a good millennium ahead, and Earth's away to be blown up, and everyone's leaving and trying to depart, and they're just trying to find a new life somewhere else. Um, at this point, aliens, humans, and all that coexist. They live on space stations. They go to new planets and things like that. And the protagonist is just just kind of some guy, isn't he? Uh, voiced by Matt Damon. Doesn't really do much. He's um, I've forgotten the guy's name. Can't remember his name. His name is Kale. Like um, Kale. Like the uh, like the superfood vegetable spelt differently. Well, He's- being from Scotland, I deliberately forgot that. Because <laughs> fuck whatever that food is. Um, but yeah, so he's the he's the son of like an eminent scientist who came yeah. up with something called the Titan Project, which is very very important and becomes like the MacGuffin, the thing they're chasing in the movie. He himself has cast adrift when the Earth is destroyed and is just essentially like your everyman like protagonist, isn't he? Yeah, he's like he's kind of like a jack of all trades. He's good yeah. at like repairing ships. He's good at flying ships. He's never really done much, um, because you know, he never really knew his dad because his dad left when he was really young. Yeah, um, they were they were separated in the chaos, basically. Or their dad said, it's not safe for you to stay with me now. I'm going to go off uh, and do my thing, and then I'll find you, and never does. Yeah. And that's you know that's where the, the story kind of kicks off, isn't it? So, with that, um, he then joins a kind of group. I'm trying to make this um, synopsis way concise. Basically, he ends up joining a group of um, other aliens who are fighting this mad legion, empiric kind of thing. I don't know what they're called either, but they're horrible, nasty aliens who are they're, trying to conquer they're, the universe. They're called, they're called the Dredge, and they're pure energy. Um, and they're, um, apparently they were threatened by the level of, uh, you know, scientific progress humans were making, so they destroyed Earth to get rid of them. So they're and, like, and, and now humans are essentially refugees cast across space, aren't they? Yeah. They're like your typical Halo baddie. Yeah. And they, um, they're hunting um, Kale down. That's a ridiculous name. That would be the first thing I read it. Um, they're hunting him through the universe. He's trying to figure out sort of why and who his dad was. And there's lots of twists and turns and, you know, plot um, twists and revenge and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's got its problems. Um, but on the whole, it's a really interesting story. And if you haven't seen it, give it a good watch. Um, because it's... Um, it's always nice to have a film that's, you know, set in a kind of dystopian kind of universe. The main problem with this film, other than the ridiculous names, is the animation is quite weak. Um, the They were quite ambitious with the budget. I think the budget is what... It was it, a the, lot. It was like the animation was, million or something. The, I mean, 90 million for an animated film nowadays is, you know, is probably half but it, the but budget it was, but, it was a, but it was a lot back then. But back then it was way more than what they spent on, like, Toy Story and that. Yeah. So it was a lot. I think the problem they had was like making the the dredge these energy aliens. That was quite hard to animate, and that's quite hard to look at when you're watching the film. Um, <clears throat> Regarding the animation, they were a bit of a strange sort of nexus in the development of animation. The, the 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 Pixar era had started, right? The Shrek era was just about to start, so yeah. very much the fashion was for computer animation. At the same time, though, back then your computer animation is toys that come to life in Toy Story or, you know, ants and grasshoppers. Do you know what I mean? Relatively simple-looking structures. They didn't, hadn't quite got the hang of humans yet, and all the human characters in, in Shrek are kind of knowingly cartoonish, and that's fine. So on yeah. the one hand, I don't think they were ready to do this as a computer animation, and on the other hand, a lot of people were going, do I want to watch traditional animation when there's all this computer-generated stuff? So I think it was a tough time to do what they were doing. 
Um, and also the problem was there's some very interesting sequences like uh, they're flying through the spa- uh, space and this is like they, they have these scenes of like strange space phenomena that look actually look very good and are very well animated but the main animated characters are quite cartoonish the guy who did this is Don Bluth and he's yeah. like an American tale um, uh, some of the early Disney stuff in the 70s and 80s the fox and the hound and uh, what's the other one uh, the, the dinosaur one Land Before Time and his the characters look kind of like childishly cartoonish. So they've got these nice spaceships, nice space, you know, you know, sci-fi setting, some very nicely animated, like with using computers to, to enhance hand-drawn animation and silly cartoons as basically the main characters. And that really, very, like, really lets it down. It's like they've got the shape of like manga characters, but they didn't want them to be kind of manga anime characters. They wanted to try and animate yeah. them. And and and, so, a, and anime was taking a big jump. Spirited Away was about to be released, so they were they were behind the eight ball. Spirited mm-hmm. Away is an absolutely rivetingly beautiful film to watch, and shows what you could do with hand drawn animation. But, but it doesn't and, try and, to be anything but hand drawn animation. If you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And so it's it falls between two stools, and it doesn't do it doesn't do the animation nearly as well as it needed to for that for the tough time they're in. If you get me? Yeah. So anyway. Titan E, we've kind of addressed the animation. There's still some the scale of the film is really impressive. Like you see the scale of like some of the spaceships yeah. and the fight sequences, they're really good. Um some of the, the aliens are quite interesting and things like that, but it, a lot of its shortfalls come with a lot of the voice acting being quite weak. I found a lot of the aliens like on a second watch I found them really annoying. So I imagine when you watched it, because you probably watched it at a similar age to I recently watched it. If that makes sense, yeah, not yeah, not far off, not far off. Um, and I just found all the animated, even the anime. There's a few animated baddies who've just got really fucking annoying voices. Um, yeah, and that that would be the, that would be another thing I would get. I would I would make it live action personally. I think it'd be really cool to yeah. do it live action. I mean, if if you um, if you are going to do it animated, you just need to put more thought into all of it, more thought into storyline. The you know, animation bringing together. I mean, for example, some of those brilliant sequences that I do like in the film, like there's a space flight through like a strange phenomenon, but it's just like a sequence. It's like, oh, let's have a fly through this while we're waiting for the next part of the story to happen, rather than it being what happens while they're doing the story. Do you know what I mean? So it was kind of like, yeah, that was nice. What's next? Oh, those cartoon, uh, this alien that looks like a giant mouse. Whoop de doo. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, so animation. Yeah, I mean now live action with all the CGI you can do. I mean, if you are going to do live action, are you going? Are you what age group are you aiming at if you're going live action? Um, probably similar to like the kind of Marvel universe. I think that's the so kind 12, of twelve, twelve A, beef it up. But you'd still have like you know eight year olds wanting to kind of come and see that kind of film. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would make it live action. I would get rid of um, a lot of the a lot of the cast were fucking rubbish. So you're obviously going to have a lot of live action mocap. Um, for the the aliens and stuff like that, which could mean that you bring some of the old cast back. I wouldn't do that. You've got John Leguizamo doing John Leguizamo things, and it's just fucking annoying. That character is a really good example of they just weren't like they just weren't on the ball. Because did you notice that part of the time he's talking like he's only got a vocabulary of twelve words, yeah. and then the other time he's talking like he's got a fucking science degree. He's a fucking genius. Yeah, it's like that. It doesn't. It was like it didn't stack up and. You've got a lot of stereotypical characters. You've got kind of the young kind of everyman. They didn't play up enough to the fact that, you know, he's been traumatized by the earth being destroyed. That's a really big like opening to a film, right? Normally a planet being destroyed is the the end of a film, not the beginning. 
So everything that comes after that has got a lot to live up to, right? And it's like, yeah, he's, you know, is he that traumatized by the almost destruction of his entire human race? The fact that he's been, to give a shit, he's been yeah. separated from his loved ones, he's stuck out doing that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, eh, all right. I think you need to kind of build that up a bit more, you know? And it's all very kind of, yeah, the whole storyline needs to be kind of beefed up. Do you, do you think it's too ambitious these days to do to do a live action film like this with like a giant budget when new new ip new story you know i know this is a remake but new storylines are really hard to get off the ground if it's not part of the marvel universe or, or a reboot of something that people I suppose know it's, love. it's not as much as a new storyline is it we've still got a story to work from and i wouldn't change yeah. much yeah from i know i pure slide that off when we do the remake hate watch but i wouldn't change much of the plot i would just try and expand on the things that they didn't yeah. touch on in the first film yeah do it do I it I would, yeah, I would try and avoid the traps that films like John Carter of Mars fell into, and um, what was that shit one with uh, Shannon Tatum, Mila Kunis, and oh, um, Jupiter Rising or something like that, or Jupiter Ascending. That Jupiter looks Ascending, shit. That's right. Yeah, Valerian and the Land of a Thousand Dildos. I don't remember what that, yeah, that yeah. film looks. Fucking rubbish. So it's really hard to not fall in those traps because everyone's just any people only go and see Star Wars or um, MCU or DC to some extent. That's the only films they really go and see now. So to stick out, you've got to kind of make sure the film's watertight. So you get, a, you get a much better writer to improve on the dialogue. You get people that can do the CGI properly and not overwork them and underpay them. And give it a distinct look, right? What, this, this has to be its own world, doesn't it? It has to be yeah, a distinct yeah. world. Like, like what they did with Dune. Dune looks like its own film, and yeah, that's yeah. really hard to do in 2022 when there's so yeah. much regurgitated shite. Yeah, I mean, from a writing point of view, I think you need to build it from the characters. You know, there. What are the motivations of all the people involved? I mean, here's an example, right? Without giving away too much spoilers from the first film, there are there's a human like captain of the ship, the kind of real fucking Han Solo ripoff, by the way. Literally, but yeah, not as fun, but not as fun. Who sort of joins up with the Kale character and says, "We're going to find your your dad's kind of Titan thing because it's the last hope of the human race." Why are the other? Why are the others there? The 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 the, the group of alien characters like the the fucking well, Drew ca- Barrymore's in it, and we don't really yeah, know why. Yeah, she's human, right? And certainly, getting a getting a a Western person to to voice a, a oh yeah, a, she's Chinese and she's yeah, it's like let's not we won't, be, we won't be doing that for a start. But um, what about the the other members of the cast? The one that looks like a kangaroo, the one that looks like a giant rat. Um, John Leguizamo's kind of mole man. Why, why are they there? Are they paid? Do you know what I mean? What are they? Are they? Yeah, there's no explanation. What, 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 what's it, what's in stuff. it for them to be kind of restoring a human race? I, I you know, and it's therefore, like a, what's their motivation for when everything goes tits up and they start fighting back? It's like, I, you know, the, all of that needs to be built. You need the character need to have motivation. I think you definitely need the Kale character to be like has some shit to get over. He just watched his planet get destroyed at the what? age of like six or whatever it was, and he lost his dad. And you know, there's a lot of kind of anger and fear about that. And you got to build on that. You got to use. You got to use the characters to make your story. Basically, work, right? they're the guardians of the galaxy, except the guy lost his dad instead of his mum at a young age, yeah. and they've just not fleshed out any of the characters. Yeah. So, like, not knowing why Drax hates Ronan, and it'd be like not knowing why Ra- Rocket Raccoon is the way he is, yeah. and yeah. just not knowing anything about anyone. That's that is the group. Yeah, you, you've got to, You've got to give it that. I mean, what 
I mean, Guardians of Galaxy is a good model, actually. Are you are you making it? Are you making a film that um, has a balance of comedy and action, or is this a straight drama in its uh, tone? I suppose it could be quite swashbuckling. Spo- it's hard yeah. to say swashbuckling. So it's um, it's fun. It's it's exciting, but it's not just purely because I f- I hate when films try and just rely on laughs too much. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, oh, they're just they're just taking the piss here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you've got with your central character, right? He's like flying around. He's I mean, I think give him, give him a slightly less stereotypical character than they play in the original film, but he is stuck dealing with scrap or repairing old spaceships aimless, mm. and this gives him a mission, and the, the stress that the story puts him under, he's been chased by this, he's got to do that, Something, some kind of race against time, brings out hidden skills and, and resourcefulness that he's got. Do you know what I mean? It's That works every time. It's a good trope, use it. Do you know what I mean? Sh- display what his character's really made of by the pressure you put him under, yeah? Yeah. Um, that sort of thing, more of that. The villains, the dredge. Are, are you happy with that villain? Are you, are you are you happy with with what they gave to the story? I changed the name of them. The dredge just sounds like somewhere you'd find a, a slurry processing factory. You know, just. Just like utter shite, just kind of sifting down yeah. a, down a valley. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, I I thought it was a weakness that the villains because why why do they care? Why do they want to destroy the humans? They all look the same. They all sound the same. Is there's no individual sort of representative of the baddies to kind of there's no. Do you know what I mean? There's not a big bad and and their henchmen or different. Do you know what I mean? I just felt there was no personality to them. Would you change that, or are you or or are you happy for them to just be a big bad? And the uh, the characterization and conflict and drama comes from the, you know, the other protagonists, the humans and their allies and everything. I would give them more of a reason to be hated because I didn't really give a shit about them. Mm. So I would have maybe some of the characters in the you know the the band of not guardians of the galaxy. Maybe some of their family died on on Earth when um, the aliens destroyed it. Why were they destroying Earth? Were they sap? Like were they? Um, you know, mining us where they, you know, sucking all of our resources dry. Um, why, why do these, why do they just decide to destroy it because they felt threatened? No, I think it'd be more interesting if they took all of the, um, they, you know, bled us dry. They took all of our water, maybe all of our oxygen. Yeah, or maybe it's then, not a clear cut thing. Maybe the humans had done something to the dredge as well. Do you know what I mean? Maybe it's like you're not just looking for a new planet. You're looking for a new existence where you don't make enemies. Whatever their motivations are, I think it's a bit better than that. We felt threatened, so we blew up an entire planet. You know, yeah. it's yeah. I think it'd be much more interesting for them to have done something to harm a lot of the people in the group and a lot of the protagonists. Yeah, because it gives us a reason to dislike them, and their defeat at the end is all the more satisfying. Yeah, um, I would try and see more of the main character's dad in the film because you're kind of just like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got to go do my work. And you'll never see me again. Yeah, he's just—he's there. He's—he's he's a plot device and nothing more, right? Doesn't—he doesn't like—he uh, doesn't leave a paper trail for his son to like try and. It's a thousand years him. in the future. There could be an AI of his dad that he that he finds, and he has many que- loads yeah. of questions for him. Do you know what I mean? Like um, Superman when he goes. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that would be like the kind of yeah. main things I'd touch on. I don't think there's any much more that you can do that we haven't really said already. Yeah. Yeah, um, I get so it. But yeah. I mean, switch to live action, create a look. You know, you need a you need a band of people with their own motivations. We gave some touch points. We wouldn't copy, but that it would be comparable to. Like 
Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that. I, I, I get you. I, I, yeah. I see where you're coming from. What and about... then... Sorry. Um, Atlantis. Yeah, so I was going to say Atlantis. Atlantis. No, I, I quite like, like Atlantis. I don't... I. I know it's not. I know it doesn't entirely work, right? Yeah. And I know it's it. It essentially failed as a film, and not just at the box office. It doesn't entirely work as a film, but I kind of like it. And I I have rewatched that a few times, and each time I'm kind of hoping it's going to be better than it is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so Atlantis: The Lost Empire is a film set in like sort of nineteen tens. 1920. Yeah, it could be I'm anywhere pre- between I'm the 1910s pre- and the 1940s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's pre-World War One. Yeah, it's around about that time, and there's a kind of guy who's a geek who works in a museum, and he's a... What is he? What would his job be? He's Yeah, he's just the janitor, but he's the grandson of a great, like... Uh, explorer. Explorer. And so, he's got the same sort of talents, but for whatever reason, he's just mopping the floor. Yeah, it's very goodwill hunting kind of vibes where he manages yeah. to kind of wangle his way onto this yeah. this expedition uh, where they end up finding Atlantis. And there's obviously the the old plot of, well, they've gone to Atlantis to meet the new people and then some big loud white man has gone and decided to you know kill them and take all their resources. And that's basically the plot of the film. The protagonist falls in love with one of the natives. It's... Um, the pa- the power source of Atlantis is what the bad guys after. It's some yeah. It's a crystal that essentially yeah, dual, it's, yeah. it's it's a it's, it it combines it can it can either be a power source or a weapon of mass destruction. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And it's it uh it as well as being what the bad guys after it was it was the downfall of Atlantis. It was like the doom of Valyria in Game of Thrones. Their power source is what destroyed them. Yeah. Yeah. And. For some reason, either because of the crystals or because of whatever it is, all of those people they, they live forever. I think they're like two or three thousand years old. Right. But it's not very clear that that's what's happening. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that is that creates its own problems, if you ask me. Because however much you like the the two main characters, Michael J. Fox voices the uh, the the young Milo. hero janitor boy Milo, and he's very likable, right? Michael, Michael J. Fox, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so. and and the young like daughter of the king, who, I mean, not bad for two thousand. I think they'd make her even more sort of independent and stand her own on her own as a character now. But you can see they were trying to do that kind of thing back then. Yeah, great stuff. But she's two thousand years older than him. Do you know what I mean? She's like, and there's no either. You go, she's two thousand years old, and therefore, even though she's got a young body, she's got a very very old mind. Is that true? driven around the twist is that a problem i think it's a problem that they've done that and they didn't they just like i mean, I'm glad you said old mind there yeah but if but if you <laughs> but, but if you ask me right they should probably not have them be immortal i think they should all be people with a normal lifespan but say the main character the the, the woman the princess whatever she is because she's connected to the crystals she has flashbacks or memories of the old atlantis do you know what i mean yeah, there's so much to explore. We'd obviously have to try and keep it as much of a Disney film as you possibly could. But yeah. it was just one of those films where I liked it. I didn't hate it when I rewatched it. I found it a bit goofy and the animation is very dated. Like this film could have been, the animation's that bad that it could have been one of the ones they made in the 60s and 50s. Like it's that old. Yeah. So um, I just feel like it's one of those ones that, you know, why are you why are you giving the films that are already popular and, you know, everyone loves already these like remakes and live action sequels or whatever you want to call them, but you're not going over things like Atlantis that could really do with a touch up. 
Disney totally lost its nerve in the early 2000s because Atlantis flopped at the box office. Treasure Planet, which is a potentially really interesting idea, flopped at the box office. And they, the John, you know, they had the John Carter thing. They had all this shit that just just died on its ass. That's why we did a one that got away about uh, David Fincher's Captain Nemo project he was going to do for Disney, and they abandoned it basically because for about ten years nothing they did worked. And and I think they are so traumatized by that they don't they want to forget that era even happened rather than go back to it and go you know what like you say that deserves another shot. Yeah, because who was I speaking to? I think I was speaking to a pal last night. I said, have you ever seen that film, Atlantis? And he went, yeah, I fucking love it. I was like, made no money at the box office. And, you know, it's not, you know, fondly looked on by the Disney executives. But no, I think it's a really interesting It's a a really good idea. And also, I personally think it's cool and it looks good when you have something vaguely sci-fi, fancy or futuristic set in like the 1910s or the 1890s. That's why kind of Indiana Jones works. It's kind of like the, the Brendan Fraser mummy works. It, it, it is good if you get it right. Do you know what I mean? I th- yeah, I think the problem with it is that it's a bit... It's People didn't enjoy it as much because it was different. It wasn't a Brothers Grimm tale. It wasn't well, a- yeah, but it, but it was it was all a bit by the numbers. So if you're going to be different, you've got to fucking nail it, haven't you? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting... Yeah, I would make the the, the female character a bit more interesting than just she's basically a blue Pocahontas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are you are you going live action or are you going to go and have another crack at animation? Um, why, don't, why don't you just make it live action? Make it make it interesting. Make it something more more fun. Yeah, um, to try. Um, I don't know who I would cast. I haven't I haven't thought about that kind of thing. Is, is, I, is, I, is Milo? Are you mate? Doesn't matter who plays him, but is Milo still the same sort of guy? The kind of the. Um, he's brainy. Everyone kind of looks down on him because it's that. Cl- it's a classic trope, isn't it? He's he's book smart, and the kind of the rest of the crew who are uh, you know someone who fixes cars and a couple of military types and and and, and all of those people they look down on him because he looks like someone who's never done a hard day's work you know down the pits in his life. Do you know what I mean? But he earns their respect because he's really smart and knows his stuff and turns out to be really brave. Are you are you are you is he still that character? Or are you going to do something different? No, Milo? so. I'm really sick of this kind of trope where these geeky guys are just folk that read books and don't do anything else. And they can't do anything else apart from read books. It annoyed me how he, you know, was this massive bookworm and he was a janitor. Like, he wasn't even just, like, some sort of student or a professor. Yeah, why, why, why is that? His dad is a great fuck explorer no. and why is he just a janitor? Yeah, fuck knows. I would have made him a super, you know, brainy character but he's like he wants to lead this expedition he's trying to get the funding or the permission or you know make sure he's got the the proper rather than um, him falling in his lap because an old rich guy says hey i hear you know where atlantis is how would you like to lead an expedition yeah you know yeah fuck that and i would like him to be a bit more kind of dynamic dynamic but also you know when it comes to the big bad fight at the end he's a bit more useful because he's not much use in the big bad fight at the end because he's some scrawny little kid um i'd change that I'd and try and explore more about the history of Atlantis a little bit more because this I'm pretty sure this one's like 80 minutes, isn't it? It's not a very long film. Yeah, and 96 minutes. But yeah, I mean, you would if you do live action, it's a couple of couple of hours long. Yeah. So you've got time to flesh out a few things, haven't you? No, totally. So I would, um, I would do that. I would flesh out the kind of history of Atlantis, why these people are the way they are, the kind of com, the conflict within like the the female character and um i think you, know you could go in, you could go into the ethics of cuz the the ethics are really black and white in the original film where 
like Milo and the people who just want to discover Atlantis are are good. And there's no ethical quandary about yeah. finding old artifacts and taking them back to a museum. And on the other hand, the, the, the military types who want to use it as a weapon are the bad guys. And that's nice and simple. It might be more interesting to go, maybe at some point he, he realizes that going going there to take artifacts back and kind of, do you, do you know what I mean? To take them back to a museum in that old fashioned or slightly yeah. imperialist way is uh, has its own kind of ethical gray areas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think they they spend a lot of time on that fucking boat, don't they, with the um, the big sea monster that comes to get them. Yeah, fuck all that stuff. Um, make it a bit more, um, a bit more interesting. Than that get to Atlantis as soon as you can, and then short because that's what the film's called, Atlantis. And I feel like they're actually not in Atlantis for very long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, make make the kind of plot a bit more because the plot in itself isn't that bad. It's just got kind of weak points in it. Yeah. So you know the you could, the whole you plot could, of the, the baddies wanting to take the resources is always the same. It's always going to be that. Yeah, fi- yeah. Find some. I mean, you could find something better with that. I mean, you could find some. Fa- yeah, we weren't expecting to find any living people. I mean, you could give the whole film a massive head start by going. They've they're excavating the site of Atlantis, and he's driving. it, trying to get more funding and trying to get into it more. When actually they discover that what they're going to find there is not some old fossils or like the the Atlantis equivalent of the ruins of Pompeii. They're actually going to find a real place. Do you know what I mean? But you mm. get you get them to the site, you get them to the place, and you get them near the the hatch or the trapdoor or the or, or the route into Atlantis a lot sooner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Totally. Um. So yeah, that's what I do with that. I just try and flesh it out a little bit more and not make it as kind of like a generic... It's basically Pocahontas, but an Atlantis. Yeah. Um, yeah, you see, for so, me, I mean, I I totally get where you're coming from with like live action because you can do so much more with live action these days. I mean, I wouldn't want to give up on ambitious animated films, although I kind of admit that it seems to be so much easier for like the Japanese anime industry to make those ambitious films than American than Disney animation do you know what I mean mm. something on, on this scale I mean I was funnily enough your your little brother he's he's two and a half and most things he'll only watch for 15-20 minutes but he watched Spirit, he, he actually watched like half of Spirited Away in one go before he got bored and ran off on his trike <laughs> and I know Spirited Away is not one of the best films of all time but it's like if you, you if you really really go for it with quality animation and you basically make you're as ambitious with the story as you would be for a live action film. You can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's an example of the things I thought was wrong with Atlantis and Lost Empire. At one point, the main character, the dad, the old king, they just stop and he explains, oh yeah, um, we use this to kind of power everything that we do. I decided to use it as a weapon in my arrogance and that caused our destruction. And it's like, mate, don't tell me, show me. It's a movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that that was a kind of flashback moment, yeah, you know. Yeah, but why not actually show in flashback? Like, for example, if the princess, if ever, if if no one's two thousand years old who's still alive, they're like they're the descendants or whatever of the people who had to live underground. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and but because she's connected to the crystal, she's starting to get insights about what went wrong, or maybe she knows and isn't telling him. Do you know what I mean? Just something yeah. that's going to create conflict between the characters. Have a flashback. Don't be afraid. A younger audience can what can cope with some flashbacks. Do you know what I mean? They can cope with oh. a non, with a non-linear storyline. Fucking show some ambition, you know. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Just do more. That don't be afraid to be adventurous. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's what I would do for 
Atlantis and you know that kind of wraps up my bit. Anything else you need to add? Or no, no. I I thought it's really funny that you because you, you, you off your own bat chose those two, and I went, you know, those are really good choices to actually do again because I mean, yeah. I, I remember Titan A. It was heavily promoted when it came out, and I was like, oh right, sci-fi animation. Because at the time, I don't think proper special effects could do what they could do today, like CGI effects for a live-action film. So an animated sci-fi with a big budget was like, a, oh, this could be really good and something that no one else is doing. And it was a real letdown when it turned out to be kind of meh. Mm. So it was interesting that that was where you went. Same with Atlantis. I, th- I think there's a whole parallel universe where Disney gets what they tried to do between 2000 and 2010 right. And I think there would have been a much more interesting like uh, industry as a result. Yeah. And I think when we come back to Star Wars, I think we'll see that. I mean, it feeds into that, if you ask me. Alien 3. Shall I do Alien 3? Yes. So obviously the Alien franchise, you know, was very famous. Uh, started out with the Ridley Scott film that kind of uh, really blew up and then Aliens, the sequel, really kind of doubled down on it. And you're, what, I mean, you're, you're a fan of the first two Alien films, I assume? Yeah, I love Alien. Aliens was, wasn't as good in my opinion, but everyone seems to love Aliens more than the first one, which is odd to me. It, it's a real um, matter, it's still, it's a real, it's it's a real matter of taste, isn't it? Because it's Alien, still fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Alien 3, I had to turn off. It was not good. Yeah, it's a, it's a real disappointment. And I remember going to see Alien 3 at the cinema. Hmm. And I was, re- again, I was very, very disappointed because I just like, I really think Sigourney Weaver's Ripley is like so iconic. I was ready to see more of that story. It's like the Terminator films where after two, everything just like tumbles, shoots downhill so fast. Um I will say I agree with the listener who wrote in that the assembly cut massively improves on the film. The, the theatrical version that presumably is the one you've watched is it's, it's poor. And the, the the assembly cut is much more like what it should have been, but it's still completely compromised by all the things that happened. So, you know, by way of, you know, this has been talked about a great deal, but by way of kind of introduction to the problems of that film, it starts really with the first Alien film that they kind of, they had a great idea for a story in the first instance. It's like a band's debut album is always amazing. And whether they have a second album in them, you'll find out. Do you know what I mean? You have five years to write your first album and six months yeah. to write your second one. Do you know what I mean? In between being on tour. And the first film, they had a great story. That uh, Guyler and, and Hill, the people who came up with the story. But the, the studio lucked out. 20th Century Fox lucked out because they got Ridley Scott after one movie. Now, <laughs> he he sh- he hadn't shown that he could do sci-fi and visuals. He hadn't done it's, it's not like they got him after Blade Runner, right? They got him after The Duelist, which is a great film, and hopefully it means that someone had the idea that wow, yeah, let's get someone who really knows how to get the design of a film right because the design of the film is what's going to crack this. There's no way the fucking studio thought like that. Do you know what I mean? Someone suggested Ridley Scott. They said yes because they didn't think Alien was that big a thing, and they it landed in their lap. Ridley Scott, H.R. Giger, and a great story, and a great movie landed in their lap, right? And then the other thing that happened for them that was lucky for the studio was there was a seven-year delay for the next film, right? Which meant they didn't rush to make a sequel a year later, and it would just be like a, a, a real alien tooth. Same thing happens on another spaceship, right? They had seven years, and that wasn't their choice. There was a, a lawsuit which held up the production of any sequel, right? Because they... Um, Walter Hill was suing Fox for not giving him the profits he was owed out of the first film. 
So by the time they actually sat down to do a sequel, the writers had had plenty of time for a new film, for a new idea for a film. And again, they got really fucking lucky with James Cameron, right? He'd done two films, a Piranha sequel, which we're going, oh, never mind, you made, you made a movie. It's not his fault Piranha 2 is a, a schlocky film, right? And then he does The Terminator, and it's like, oh, well, he can do sci-fi and action. This will be good. But they completely lucked out that he did as good a job as he did with Aliens. So they just thought a third movie was going to be a walk in the park. It's like, oh, we'll just find a director, yeah? We'll do a story, and we'll just have a sequel that's as good as the first two films. It'll just happen. Because without them having to put any thought into it, they, they were handed two really good films. Mm. and that's where it went wrong for them because it just went oh let's just make a sequel like straight away and Walter Hill and David Garlow were like well we don't necessarily have a, a story right um, they were story rather than screenwriters themselves do you know what I mean and the they were just going oh do you want to direct it do you want to direct it do you want to direct it Rennie Harlan of Die Hard 2 and various other films fame he did a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel which did alright and he was offered the part of the next Alien film to direct it it's like fuck you find the right guy or woman whoever it is <laughs> find the right director find the right story and they rushed and they tried this and it didn't work Sigourney Weaver didn't want to come back and do it right so they tried about three things that didn't actually have the Ripley character in there by the time they're actually getting ready to do the film they've already burnt a lot of money they're already kind of it's like if you're ever involved in projects at work the worst projects are the one where everyone's in a hurry and six years down the line they're still in the hurry and no one says guys why don't we just fucking do this properly do you know what I mean instead of doing everything half-arsed. They, that's exactly what they were doing. And they then got a guy called Vincent Ward, who had an idea that a lot of people found very interesting, where Ripley lands on, on a, a spaceship populated by religious fundamentalists. The ship is, is wooden, and they have no weapons, and they're a cloister. It was basically the name of the Rose in Space was how it was, um, uh, was built. Now, at least it's a director with his own ideas, right? And Vincent Ward's quite a visually interesting director. And at least it was like, okay, that's different from the last one. That's a new idea. I don't think it would have worked. It's a fucking wooden spaceship. Fuck off. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and no one's got any weapons. It's I don't, I don't like it. And I, actually, Vincent Ward is a fraud. He's completely overrated. Maybe I shouldn't call him a fraud. <laughs> yeah, so, but he's, he's totally overrated. He's, 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 all, he's all style and no substance. He wasn't. Gonna, it wasn't ever going to work. The, 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 the project ran into trouble and they said, shit, what do we do now? And they called in David Fincher when they'd already spent enough money to make one alien film, right? And they'd already hired actors and already built sets to go, well, what the fuck do we do? And David Fincher's got to go, all right, well, all right, I can do something with this. This was him making his debut because he was an interesting director of like commercials and, and video uh, music videos who was looking for his break. But rather than say, oh, we like, you know, I've got the vision to see that David Finch is a good director. I'm going to give you your own, your budget to start from scratch. This went, rescue this production, right? And they had this muddled idea where they went, well, shall we have religious fundamentalists, but they're prisoners and it's a prison planet and they've all got shaved heads and this, that and the other. And it was all like cobbled together. And you watch it and there's a lot of British actors alike in there, but they all look the fucking same because they've got shaved heads. There's no differentiation of the characters. <laughs> um there's some interesting stuff in it, okay? So, spoiler alert. We have to give you some spoilers to kind of talk through Alien 3. It is a 30-year-old film. Ripley's character has been impregnated by an alien, right? So for, for Sigourney Weaver, she sees this as the trilogy. This is the end of Ripley, right? But it's a great end to Ripley. She's got to all the things she did in the first two films, but now she's carrying an alien inside her, right? That is a good idea, okay? 
And the fact that these prisoners don't know what the hell's got into them and they're at the arse end of space and no one cares about them and it's just then they've got to fight back. I, I, can, I can see that. I can kind of see that working. Um, but the rest of it is shambolic. The storyline was all over the place. The, 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 the CGI, I mean, they were rushing. And the CGI back then, less is more with the CGI, right? Like, if you look at like Jurassic Park in 1993, they don't actually use that much CGI. They use just enough. And if you look at the CGI of Alien 3, the bit where she's falling into the um, the the uh, the fiery pit at the end looks fake. There are times when the CGI shots of the Alien looks fake. It's like, fucking start again. So redoing Alien is a case of start again, get it right. And there's a really interesting moment in the production of, of the Alien 3 sequel where in the late 80s, they got a screenwriter called William Gibson. I don't know how familiar you are with him, mate. No, I'm not. So he's the writer of Neuromancer and essentially the father of cyberpunk. So any film like Blade Runner or the Japanese sort of anime or any like classic sci-fi film is hugely influenced by his novels, right? Um, Altered Carbon. The whole look of Altered Carbon is borrowed from uh, William Gibson, even though it's based on novels by another writer. He was doing a screenplay. Now, he's not a natural screenwriter. They would have had to have redrafted his story, Yeah. And also they would have to redraft it because when he was writing it, they didn't have Ripley on board. So Sigourney Weaver wasn't going to be in the movie and he was tasked with writing a story didn't really have Ripley in it, right? So he focused on Newt and Hicks, right? And Ripley's in a coma. That was how he got around it. So Sigourney Weaver would have to turn up for two days filming so that she could lie on a bed and then they would focus on two other characters. Change that. Let's assume Sigourney Weaver is going to be in this movie from the start and plan for it from the beginning, right? He wrote this really interesting idea where the, the, on their way home, the, uh, the ship lands on a space station and genetic material from the aliens has been left over and it comes out as spores and creates another alien that goes around impregnating people. And there's rival factions in space who want to use the weapon as weapons of mass destruction against each other. And it's their battle that the characters from Aliens film are caught up in. That's quite a good setting, right? I think they should have built on that. I think they should have worked from that. There's some Cold War stuff, because this is the late 80s, and they imagined that there would still be some sort of like like communist or Soviet-style kind of entity that controlled half the solar system and the the um, the people who were sending out the spaceships, the company they keep referring to, represent like the, the West. That, that was so dated within a couple of years because the Cold War was over, right? So forget that. But the idea of maybe some rebels having taken over a space station somewhere in like not not that far from Earth, um, you could use the kind of slight, slightly convict or fundamentalist mentality. Maybe it's like a like a culty group that have taken over. They're rebelling against the company, and on the one hand, you think, yeah, they should rebel against the company. The company are assholes, but they're kind of they're culty and fundamentalist themselves, so they're not the right answer either. And that's who these characters are stuck between. I quite like the slightly industrial setting because I think a lot of the prison planet stuff was shit. But the fact that there was like a lead works and a foundry and molten lead and fire and everything, I thought that was quite good. So imagine this is some sort of space station with an industrial side to it that's been taken over by rebels. It's under attack by the, you know, the modern day, you know, whoever the, the present day kind of military wing of the company is. And when they land there, everyone's fighting over the alien material. I think that's your movie, right? And just do it properly from the start with proper characters and everything else. And... I think one thing that a lot of people really hated from from Alien 3 was the way that Hicks and Newt are killed off before the film even starts. I mean, I don't know what you thought about that, mate. Was that, I mean, having seen Aliens, would you have rather have seen Hicks and Newt carry on in the story? Uh, not really. <laughs> Just because it is 
is about Ripley, you know what I mean? And to have Ripley in the film for the first, what, five minutes and then she gives birth to an alien and that's meant to kind of be the plot or she's just in it briefly so Sigourney Weaver's just lying in a bed. I don't really agree with that. But if you um, had, but if but if Ripley is in the third movie, but you get Hicks and Newt as well, would you go with that? Or would you? Or would you yeah, okay with they've got just? no problem with new characters being introduced. But if Sigourney Weaver's on board because she thinks it's the trilogy, you know, it's yeah. the the perfect. It ending, is. It then. is all about her. Yeah. It's, yeah. So what what I what I wanted to do with this when I was coming up with ideas of what what a better Alien Three film would be, I would say yes, Hicks is back. He's still alive. Yeah. He's injured from the last film, so he can he can be a kind of traumatized character this time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and yes, Newt's still alive. But I had one stipulation that I thought would be good. I don't think, especially if you wait seven years to make a new movie, you can't have the same actress to play Newt anyway. Yeah. And do we really want another film where Newt is exactly the same age and the dynamic between Sigourney Weaver and Newt is like adult woman and small child squealing and having to be rescued? That was done as well as I think it could ever be in Alien, so I didn't want that. So I thought... What if their ship's been drifting in deep space for about 10 years or more, yeah? And there's mm. been a malfunction on the ship, maybe because an alien kind of burst out of, of the... Um, the thing that William Gibson came up with that was quite interesting is some genetic material was left inside the, the android bishop and survived right. inside suspended animation. And these, these aliens are so good at surviving that out of that comes an egg that can, that can turn into a facehugger. So what mm-hmm. if that causes a fault on the ship? It causes a malfunction in Newt's uh, suspended animation bed. And when she wakes up, she's a teenager. She's like 18 or 19. Hmm. Now that's a bit more interesting. And you've got a character who can do a lot more, but she's completely freaked out by what's happened to her because she's not had a normal grown-up childhood, right? And you've got a, a new dynamic for Ripley because Ripley had a, had the, the whole thing that if you've seen the special edition of Aliens, you'll see more of. When she gets gets back to Earth, she finds out that in the fifty seven years that she's been away, her daughter's grown up, grown grown old, and died died of cancer. Yeah. So when she sees Newt, this is the daughter she she should have had, right? But this is the daughter that she should have got to see. If she'd got home on time, she'd have seen her teenage daughter. Yeah, she'd have seen her daughter as a young woman. And I think that's a new dynamic for Ripley and Newt that would give you new characters and new things to do. And it also means that while you've got this trilogy with with Ripley, it's over for Ripley. We know, because unless something a miracle happens, she's got that alien inside her. We know how that ends. You've got that thing going on with her and, and her new kind of surrogate daughter, but at a different stage of her life. And I thought that would be really good. So you've got this traumatized, injured PTSD Hicks who's you know still trying to help and you've got a totally brand new Newt character who's now older and able to be more active in the story I thought you could do that but it's still it's still about Ripley and I think you could still have that ending right I think what I would want to do is I'd want there to be some suspense right that something caused the malfunction in the ship they land you see that genetic material has created a face hugger because it attacks some um, you know supporting characters so that you, the jeopardy starts early and then you go hang on, is everyone okay? Was anyone else's kind of thing damaged? We don't know because the ship crashed. And you don't know, right? Is Newt got a, 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 an alien inside her? Has Hicks got an alien inside him? Or has Ripley got an alien inside her? And then through the film, you find out, shit, it's Ripley. Ripley's got the alien inside her. So you've got that yeah. suspense. And then you find out, Jesus, Ripley is, you know, her worst nightmare is coming come true, but she's still got to have that fight. And because the two factions are fighting, there's still that overarching jeopardy 
this alien gets on a ship or the company takes this material back, it goes back to Earth and it's all over for the human race, right? And I think you've got all the jeopardy, you've got all the battles that you could possibly want, but in new setting. And I think you still have that final ending, right? That final ending where Ripley says, I'm not letting this alien be born inside me. I'm not letting the company get another uh, a fully formed alien. And she throws herself into the uh, the molten kind of, uh, you know, the, 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 the molten lead, you know, in, into the, the lava uh, at the end. I still, I think that's your perfect ending still. Just get the CGI right. And then I think you've got a proper sign off to that trilogy. That's how I would do Alien 3. You build on the William Gibson storyline. You take out the things that didn't work. You put Ripley back in. And you create that jeopardy with Newton Hicks, and I think you've got a, I think you've got a story then, and I think that would have been a very good one. And I would say, someone should have the vision in like early '91 and say, right, um, uh, uh, David Fincher, I like the, I like the cut of your jib, mate. You're going to do this, but you've got the budget, you've got, you've got control of the film from the beginning. Twentieth Century Fox fucks off out of the way and lets him make his movie. I think you've got something there. No, it sounds like you've. <laughs> I've had, 30, I've, had, I've had 30 years to think about this <laughs> but yeah that's where I do it I, I was even thinking about casting because obviously Hicks and, and, and Ripley still have the same actors but early 90s you're talking there are young actors like Reese Witherspoon stood around Winona Ryder could have done it you know even though she came back for Alien Resurrection but fuck Alien Resurrection you know uh, Drew Barrymore there's there's young actors around at the time who, who you could have used for this who would have you know, given given new like new depths, I think. So I think that would have been, you know. And if look, if the film was brilliant and made a lot of money, and someone said, um, right, we're going to carry on doing Alien films. At least you could carry on with new, even if Sigourney Weaver doesn't want to doesn't want to keep going. You know. Mm. But yeah. that's but that's my that's that's how I'd fix uh, that's how I'd fix Alien Three. Very good. Should we do Star Wars? I think we should do Star Wars. The, so, yeah, you go. So I've had a lot of bees in my bonnets about um, Star Wars for many years. I would, I would go over the prequels if I could. I'd just try and iron the dialogue out a little bit and make them a bit more polished and a little less CGI in post kind of thing. But I actually agree with the story of Star Wars. Um, There's two major things. The, the you, two major things you do with the prequels. Stick to the principle that on the whole, George Lucas should be the one who comes up with the story and somebody yeah. else directs it. Somebody else brings his idea to the screen. Yeah? Totally. Like Spielberg did with uh, with Indiana Jones, right? And like after the first Star Wars film, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, apart from what they did to Boba Fett and the teddy bears, directed by other, you know, and screenplay by other people, then you're on the right foot to begin with. As you say, not too much CGI. They did that all in front of a, with a green screen with a tennis ball. Absolutely changed that. Um, and I think the model for that is um, X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class, some of the other X-Men films in that kind of cycle didn't work very well, but X-Men First Class is a brilliant, brilliant example of going back in time, prequeling the X-Men stories that you've seen with a character is on the light side and a character is on the dark side of the same struggle. Do you know what I mean? And of yep. people with powers and, and all the things that come with that and fighting your battles as the story progresses. I know that's only one movie, but that's that's how you get that prequel model right. 
And if George Lucas comes up with a story, he's very good at coming up with ideas for films, right? Mm-hmm. He's not always the right guy to direct them and, and not too much CGI. That's, that, you know, that's how you fix the prequels. I, I, I agree with you that the, you know, it, maybe it's not three films, the prequels, maybe it's two, but it's, I think you could, I think there's a, there's a there's a fundamentally sound premise there that could have been just filmed. No, better. I think it's three films. You just explore a lot more of Anakin before he turns to the dark side. You give Hayden Christensen more to do in terms of becoming, you know. Do, do you a, re, do you recast Hayden Christensen? No, I'd give him a chance. I don't think he's actually that bad. I just think he suffered from a really bad script. Better, better dialogue. Better dialogue. Um, I would give more fleshing out to his character. See more of his anger and his like kind of dancing with the dark side as opposed to just being like, oh yeah, I'm going to kill a bunch of kids now. Yeah, um, spot on. But that's the prequels. We love the originals. The sequels. Now, the sequels are a complete hot mess. Um, number seven, I think, is a good little start. I think they do copy a lot from The New Hope. It would have been a bit more interesting to not just have them destroy another Death Star. Yeah, I think, um, they, I think seven works because J.J. Abrams did a successful pastiche of the first film, but it also got the trilogy off to the wrong start. Yeah. I would have... I would have what happens that happens. So, spoilers, it's been out for seven years. Han Solo dies at the hands of his son, who's um, trying to, like, convince his master that he's not, you know, conflicted with his uh, by his past. Um, so, I would have that happen, but I wouldn't have it happening on the destruction of another Death Star. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't have that. Yeah. I would have it somewhere else, somewhere that would contribute to the importance of. Um, yeah, they needed the to. They need to come up with a new, a new thing. And here's the thing, right? You can't have, you can't have another, um, Snoke, whatever his name is. He's essentially a surrogate for the Emperor, right? There's no reason for that to exist, right? You can't just have the First Order suddenly being a military power of the same stature as the Empire in, in the in the original trilogy. Because it yeah. begs the question, how the fuck did that happen? They destroyed the Empire, right? If we do the maths for this, right? John Boyega is a stormtrooper, right? Yeah. He is a stormtrooper who's been bred for it since a tiny, tiny, tiny age. He may not have been cloned, but from, from a baby, he's been brainwashed and developed into being a stormtrooper, right? However they're doing it, yeah? So in his early 20s, he's had probably 20 years of, at least 20 years of being part of a stormtrooper type setting, which means the First Order has been industrializing its new regime and empire for 20 years, which means the New Republic, which defeated Vader and the Emperor at the end of Return of the Jedi, functioned for 10 years and then failed again. Yeah, that's think- That's fucked. If you're going to tell that story... Tell that story. Do you know what I mean? How did we get here? Not just suddenly go, oh, we've got another empire. Okay. Yeah. No, I think you do need to you do need to give more to him because he was billed as one of the top cast and he's not in the films at all. So I think you need to have a bit more of an interesting character arc for him. I How think that works into the in over across the whole like the across the three films. I don't know. Um I think There's, you just you need to create a, a different dynamic. You can't have the Republic being the rebels again. The Republic, the Republic has to be something different. It can still have Carrie Fisher in charge, yeah. It can still have the essentially the radicalized terrorist enemy that uh, from the dark side of the Force is still there. They could call themselves the First Order, but they can't be a military power like the. Um, it's it's like in real history, right? The Cold War finished, and the enemy was no longer a big military power that we recognize like the Soviet Union. The enemy was a bunch of um, uh, 
you know, radicals and, and, and insurgents from around the world, but they still like became the enemy that everyone's got to fight. Do you know what I mean? You've just got to give, the enemy's got to have a different shape now. Different settings, different weapons, different problems. Yeah, uh, I would agree. I think, I think you might make, you might make John Boyega a bit more interesting if he's, um, he's actually not, a good guy right away, like he maybe gets captured and they have to convince him, like the the the, the new what are they called, the First Order. He's been radicalized and they have to deprogram him. Something like that, maybe a bit more interesting. Gives the character something to do, the yeah. actor something to act with. Um, but on the whole, I don't actually disagree with what happens. I think Han Solo dying is a good kind of way to finish off that character, and it gives us a bit more. I think it, I think we should just fully commit to Kylo Ren being a bad guy. None of this, like, oh, maybe he's good because his mum's Leia and his dad's Han Solo. I don't think we should have that, any of that stuff. I think that, we that, just... That's because he's a Vader surrogate. They've made him, over the course of the three, we'll come, I'm sure we'll come in in a minute to the fact that each of the three films in the final trilogy is not actually a trilogy. It's three different people trying to make a movie that follows the last one without without it being yeah. knitted together. Yeah, it's all nonsense. But in the end, what they did, what they tried to do is they tried to make him the Vader surrogate who brings order to the Force at the end, like like the actual Darth Vader does at the end of Return of the Jedi. And the problem is that's been done. You can't do that. It doesn't make fucking sense to do it again. Personally, I would have said, I know Disney's bought it. I know Lucas doesn't own it anymore, but Lucas had ideas for the sequels. There's also an expanded Star Wars universe, and they needed to dip into that and find from the Star Wars world what they're going to do next. Maybe rebuilding the Jedi. Someone's trying to rebuild the Jedi's properly, and that's what's gone wrong. Do you know what I mean? Well, Luke does that, and then it's like, oh, no, but he can't. He doesn't do that. Because, he has, he uh, has, I mean, we're getting into the second film now, but while he's having a, he has a nightmare that Kylo is going to be a baddie, tries to kill him in his sleep, and that's what makes him a baddie. And and that's it. That's the end of the Jedi's. It's like okay, that sounds like you really see it as a motivation to make Kylo Ren a bad guy. Don't disagree with it, but it is very for a two and a half hour film that the uh, Last Jedi is. It does kind of just gloss over it super quickly. It doesn't. Um, I yeah. I I think what could have happened is that what happened was you don't just have a flashback to that and one actual recognizable story of a Jedi and a and a a, a, a Jedi Master. You have. They actually had a lot of Jedi's, but maybe they tried to do it too fast. Maybe they had lots of people trying to do it, and um, a number of them became radicalized. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I've always thought this thing about the Sith. There's only there's only ever two Sith. That's fucking bollocks. Do you know what I mean? Have an army of Jedi's, some of whom become radicalized and go off on the wrong route, and that's <laughs> what and and they you know and that's what sort of brings the seeds of the people who were the Empire back. That's what brings the enemy back to to something that you have to confront. I think that's far more far more workable than what they did yeah i would i think i would keep most of um was it the force awakens it's um you just just replace the new hope beats with new beats yeah just let's not make um let's not make it the new death star basically yeah the last jedi however has a lot to be fixed it's an absolute pile of garbage it is an awful film. The, 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 fir the first thing is, right, und underneath it all, The Last Jedi has to be the second part of a, a planned three films. So before you start Force Awakens, you have to know what Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, whatever you're going to call the films, before you start Episode 7, you already have to have a decent idea what Episodes 8 and 9 are going to be, okay? Yeah. You can't go, all right, what now? And then you bring in Ryan Johnson, who's... 
I've I've seen some Ryan Johnson films that I've quite liked. I thought Knives Out was all right, but I don't think he had the storytelling capability to to do what he was doing. He had so many dead ends in his storyline. He introduces Luke and he's gone by the end of the of that film. He introduces a new character in Order and she's gone by the end of the film. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's no yeah. there's no arc that takes you from seven through to nine. And he jettisons a load of stuff from seven. No, don't fucking do that. Do you know what I mean? If 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 I know it's not it's not his fault that seven had too much new hope in it, but you can't just go, oh we'll just get rid of Snoke and up with no explanation. Do you know what I mean? It, you've got to actually say whatever happens in eight has to be a continuation of seven that leads you to nine. And and, and yeah. it doesn't do that. It's the story is broken. From the beginning, well, I would, right? So first thing off the bat, I'd get rid of Princess Leia being Mary Poppins. Here's here's my thought on Princess Leia. Right, they refer in at the end of or at, very briefly in Empire Strikes Back, way back in 1980, that the whole family of the Skywalkers has powers. If if it doesn't work out with Luke, there is another. That's what Yoda says. There is another. Right. So they've they've said right at the beginning that she's got enough force to be of some use. Right. And then in Return of the Jedi, it's like, yes, yes, you have a sister. She's got powers. If Vader got hold of her, he could turn her into like a weapon. Do you know what I mean? Because that's why Luke fights Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi. Because yeah. if, if he gets his hooks into Leia, he could turn her into a Sith. It's basically what he's saying, right? So if you're going to have of Carrie Fisher having force powers in, in Last Jedi and helping Rey with her training in Rise of Skywalker, you start Episode 7 with Carrie Fisher being on some way through a 30-year journey from the last film of exploring the Force, right? Mm-hmm. And you say, look, yeah, I was. I know it's been really difficult for me because I waited until I was an adult. It was hard enough for Luke because he was like 18, 19 when he started exploring the Force. I was like 25, and that's really hard. Whatever, right? But for 30 years, she's been trying to build up her Force powers. Maybe the whole thing with Luke and everything fell apart, so she's kind of... It's been kind of partly damaged for it, you know what I mean? But whatever you do with it, if that's where you're going, you've got to plant the seed in episode nine, yeah? Yeah. Um, right, so I agree with that. I think if you're going to have layers of forces, which I think is pretty cool, like you say, you don't you don't make it as many Poppins. Maybe if Kylo Ren blows up the ship, she uses the force to save everyone as opposed to just floating herself back in. I would get rid of Laura Dern completely. She doesn't need to be in that film. She somehow has the coolest bit of that film and nobody gives a fuck about her character at all. They give Admiral Akbar an off-screen death. They just say, oh yeah, Admiral Akbar's dead, by the way, Soz. When he yeah. could have done the thing that Admiral Holdo or Laura Dern does at the end of the film where she turns the ship around and flies it through the um, the First Order's fleet. Um, so let me... And But he could have gone it's a trap or trap this and flaunch through that entire fleet. How fucking cool would that have been instead of fucking Laura Dern and her fucking dinosaurs? To- Fuck clean off. Totally agree. Admiral Akbar should have been the one who sacrificed himself with the ship at, instead of Laura Dern, yeah, at that point in the story, okay? Mm-hmm. I would I would suggest that a new kind of leading character, and I've no problem with that being Laura Dern because I think she's a really good actress, yeah, should be brought in. But if you're going to introduce her in episode eight, you don't kill her off after 40 minutes, right? Mm. She's got an arc that takes through to, through to episode nine and you give Admiral Akbar that sign off. I don't have a problem with introducing her, but I think you know you need to actually give her an actual genuine role in the story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than just go, oh, we've introduced this new kind of very senior admiral who is now Oscar Isaac's commanding officer and has taken over the whole fleet. We've never heard of her before. Didn't mention her in episode seven. Deal or, with do, it, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, no, no, no. Give her an arc. Give her a fucking three-episode arc. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Whatever. She doesn't do, She doesn't get to destroy the fleet. That should be yeah. Admiral Akbar. 
Um, my other problems, well, what else happens in that shit film? They just, they don't have anything for John Boyega to do, so they just send him to a casino planet with um, Rose Tico. Who... They, they, if they are going to have a side mission like that, and they did have that in, in Empire Strikes Back, you've got what, what Luke's doing, and then you've got people in the Cloud City, and then the stories come together. You can do it, but it, the, that whole thing is a wild goose chase. That, that needed to be some sort of genuinely necessary activity, Rather than, oh, go and find the guy, and then the guy that they have to go and find on the casino planet turns out to be a total shit, so you might as well not have gone. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, they say, okay well, okay, well, now we'll hop onto the spaceship and do something for five minutes at the end. Ju- Give him a mission that is actually, like, works in the story. Tied to that, they spend a long time on that mission going, the the Allied, the, the Re- Rebel or the Republic's fleet is going through at hyperspace this fast, and the Rebel fleet is going after them this fast, and they can't chase, they can't get away from each other. They're both going at the same speed, so they just end up shooting at each other for like an hour. Where they're actually killing each other, yeah. No. It's the, first, it's the first Star Wars film that introduces the concept of fucking fuel. Yeah, it's like, none, that doesn't, that's a really, really shit central line. And then you've got, while that's happening, you've got two side plots because you've got Ray has gone to um, to find Luke and essentially does a really shit version of um, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, and you've got John Boyega off doing his, his thing. So it's you've got two side stories, and and while they're having those two side stories, these two big ships are just chasing through space after each other, doing absolutely nothing. It's like fucking it's hell, rubbish, man. And then there's more with like. Captain Phasma doesn't have anything to do. Me, like she's just there, and then she's dead. It's like, oh, good. Um, so what happens towards the end of the film? So it's actually a really good moment for Finn's character, which if they'd fleshed out his character a bit more from episode seven into the end of episode eight, where he's about to kill himself and um, yeah, fly his ship into the sort of mini Death Star that's breaking into their little rebel yeah. base on a crate. And he's about to fly, and you think, right? Wow, this is a good moment. This is actually going to be a really like powerful moment where John Boyega sacrifices himself to save, save everyone. No, Rose Tico's going to come in and smash a ship out the way and give him a kiss because we're not going to win this war by um, what is it? Fighting the people we hate. It's saving the ones we love. Yeah. Go and fuck yourself. Go, go and take a step back and fuck yourself in the face. Punch yourself really fucking hard in the fucking eyeball, you fucking lame cunt. How fucking dare... Saving the ones we... Lo- like, when love is ever mentioned in Star Wars, it's like... It's got it's got to be something like Han Solo. Like, there are, there are three distinct moments where love is mentioned to, in Star Wars. There's the bit where Anakin says, I love you, Anakin. I love you, Padme, and all that stuff. And I don't like sand and all that rubbish dialogue. Everyone hates it. Leia says, I love you to Han. Han goes, I know. That's fucking cool. What do you think they should have done with that? Probably gone down the Han gone down the Han Solo route, seeing as they should have learned from the mistake from the uh, prequels. No, let's let's have this really fucking horrible, cringy moment where pe- where fucking lives are on the fucking line because Rose Rose Tico's got a fucking wide on for John Boyega. Fuck Colleen off into the sea. She yeah, I, I mean they, they I did, hate they, that they character didn't, so didn't, much. Man. They didn't give her any. They didn't do her any favors. It's not her fault. They gave her a shit character to work with. It's not her fault, and obviously all the abuse she got was absolutely yeah. absurd, and it is not her fault because no, she was it's, paid it's, to it's, do what she was told. It's, it's absolutely the, it's not her right, fault. It's the writers who deserve the abuse for that, because it's really badly designed. Yeah, oh, it's, it's, no one deserves racial abuse so, because they fucking, like, for, for anything, let alone because they were in a fucking 
film that was shit. How, however, that doesn't make th- that doesn't mean we should just ignore how irredeemable, if that's even a fucking word, uh, that scene. Yeah, is. you see, for for episode eight, what they've got to do is they've got to um, they've got to develop. I mean, w- what we're saying is that you need a different kind of enemy, not just a, a new version of the Empire, not just a new version of Darth Darth Vader. I think the war the war has to have gone off somewhere, yeah. And that seems to have created some sort of threat that they have to kind of work out. And that whatever you give John Boyega to do has to be about that. Maybe it is, you know, uh, a, a an, an area of the of of you know that the, the galaxy is going to get completely destroyed, and they, there's a race against time. There's an uprising. Maybe the the first film shows the rise of the enemy, and now the enemy's kind of thrown them out, and the Republic's unprepared. There's maybe divisions among the among the supposed good guys, and they got to bring it together. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There's you know, and only only by actually uni- unifying their forces. I don't. I I think if you got to bring Luke back, and I think you've got personally, I think the storyline of the some of the Jedi's were radicalized, and that's why you've got a problem because you've actually got what a number. That- that makes sorry. That makes Kylo Ren and the Knights of Ren cool because he, Ray has this mad vision of the Knights of Ren, and you think, "Wow, these guys are fucking cool." And they end up just being like a way of selling, um, yeah, you know, and, figures. But, like, but, but, toys. but then there's like a football stadium-sized crowd of supporters of the Sith in Rise of Skywalker, who apparently, even though we're two and a half films into the trilogy, all they've been doing is sitting there waiting to be in this giant crowd scene when it reveals, oh, it was the Emperor behind this all along. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well, if you've got an army of fucking Sith, have that army of fucking Sith throughout the movie. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes three it films. fucking cool, yeah. So they and might I, not have the giant military power, they might not have a Death Star, but you've got, say you've got 50,000, 60,000 people who've all got the power of Jedi who start an uprising somewhere. And that's what John Boyega's got to deal with. And that's what Ray's got to deal with before she's finished her Jedi stuff. And they've got to get Luke back so they can maybe kind of bring the whatever good guy Jedi's are left together. Do you know what I mean? And actually have a battle. Yeah. And then and then like Oscar Isaac's storyline is is bollocks. Because at the end at the beginning of like episode eight, they are there's like his their bombing mission is like the Dam Busters. They're flying over a ship, manually dropping like bombs out of a out like a Lancaster bomber. Yeah. It's like that's 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 not how they attack the Death Star. Why is that? Why have we gone backwards in 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 what kind of weaponry we use now? And he, he he's prepared to kill loads of people to like destroy one ship. There's no kind of discussion of that, but it's <laughs> it's just a plot device to have him be out of favor. And it's like no, give him. He's like. He's part of one part of the the military, different military factions that are, are disunited. One of one of the things about the modern world that would resonate it, um, in a sci-fi film if you watched it is that these days the good guys or the people who should be the good guys are often not united enough, and the bad guys always seem to be like ready to rock and roll and fight at the drop of a hat. And that's yeah. how that's how the bad guys win. That's how fucking Trump gets uh, uh, gets elected, and that's how we fucking got Brexit. That's how we've got all this other shit. Do you know what I mean? So have that. They might not be a military power like the old empire, but they've got um, uh, they've that all the all the fucking psychos are, are behind the head psycho and are taking them on, and you've got to pull these people together. So John Boyega and Oscar Isaac have maybe fallen out or represent different parts of the empire, and that's why they're on different missions. Ray's trying to help get Luke back to pull together these kind of disparate Jedis who are all we've got to fight these this Sith, you know? They might not have a Death Star, but they've got thousands of Sith and Luke gave up on his like training of the good Jedi. Do you know what I mean? Pull it all together. Give Carrie Fisher something to do with the Force if you're going to give us something to do with the Force. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then Rey in part three, her and Kylo Ren could now be like 
the two kind of genuine going at it, duking it out, fighting each other. Do you know what I mean? And I think if, I personally think, I, I agree with you, I think Kylo Ren shouldn't like just suddenly decide, oh, I'll be nice now and save the day. Do you know what I mean? I think he's, yeah, got, he's, got, he's got he's got to be the bad guy. He's you know he's he, he, he might see the conflict in him, but he's got to decide that he's irredeemable and go down in a blaze of glory because you need a character. You can make him a character that you can see both sides of. Do you know what I mean? You can make him a character go well. It's a tragedy that he was radicalized to the dark side, yeah. Um, so that you actually have some emotional kind of resonance to the to the whole thing, right? But in the end, the, the rise of Skywalker doesn't even. It's like the, the the main the main like revelations in Rise of Skywalker is that Rey is the granddaughter of the Emperor or something like that, and the Emperor is still alive somehow, fuck knows how, and is pulling the strings behind the First Order, uh, and they have a fight and end it, and it's like okay, what the fuck is that? I think yeah. if you and, and and when you have that stadium load of Sith, if you've got fifty thousand Sith, why are they not the ones that the, the good guys are fighting? Because that's one well, thing you haven't. Because in in the prequels and in the you know the Mark Hamill Skywalker trilogy, you only ever have a couple of bad Jedi. Imagine having a fucking army of bad Jedi. That's something you haven't seen before. That's something I'd pay money to to watch. I think what what they could have done is they could have made everything a bit more interconnected. So I would have not. I would have brought. I wouldn't have brought Palpatine back. I would have brought him back for a flashback because they should have made Snoke. Darth Plagueis. Do you remember Darth Plagueis the Wise? Have you ever been told the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? No. Well, that's the meme. So in Revenge of the Sith, that's the Sith that Palpatine tells Anakin about that can bring loved ah, ones back to life. Right, 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 right. So it would be interesting to make him Snoke. I'd get rid of the name Snoke, to be honest. I would just reveal the big bad as Darth Plagueis. And maybe, He's managed to resurrect and maybe himself. Ray, and maybe Ray could be linked to him in some way, and that's why her family kind of jettisoned her so that she'd be safe from him or something like that. Yeah, whatever. I, I, I didn't care about that whole Ray the Unknown shit. It was just, I think it was just story filler. Yeah. But I would have made him the big bad. Kylo Ren is bad the whole way through. And Ray tries to persuade him to be good because she knows that he's, a, he's like a Skywalker, not just a Vader. Yeah. And he doesn't, so she's forced to kill him. I think that would be more yeah. interesting than just yeah. fucking whatever they tried to do with it. John Boyega try, really has to like try and kill um, Captain yeah. Phasma. Don't know why, whatever the motivations are. Gaby Captain Phasma's really into, like, th- like she's, like, proper made him do all this genocidal stuff and it's fucked him up. Yeah, and now he, even, even, even now he's de-radicalised, he's still kind of broken by what he did when he was a stormtrooper. And he's just like, one day I'm going to fucking kill you. And maybe she's, like, important in, like, recruiting people for this mad Sith army that we've come yeah. up with, whatever. Like, they need to give more to these characters, like, because Captain sh- Phasma looks fucking cool, she doesn't fucking do anything. And he, and he shouldn't be a stormtrooper. Stormtroopers are dumb, they're boring, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it would be. I think it would have been interesting if he was actually like a bounty hunter. Yeah, and he's but he's tried to be convinced to actually pick a side and not just pick or, coin. Or, or or a rebel insurgent who has been radicalized to fight the Republic. He's been trained to think that the Republic are actually the bad guys and that blowing people up and, and committing atrocities is justified because you know the people who've brainwashed him have have, have turned his morality upside down. Yeah, and maybe he's really useful to the um, resistance because. Yeah of the information that he has on the empire and like what they're planning to do and what their big thing is next um which shouldn't be a fucking death star but that's how i would try and fix and um, and luke if luke's going to do his you know save the day or come in and intervene with his powers and then 
disappear and do his Ben Kenobi death, right? That's got to uh, happen in part three, not at the end yeah, of last year. And he should have been in the he should have been in number seven. They shouldn't have made the entirety of number seven about Ray trying to find Luke Skywalker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think Luke Skywalker shouldn't have been on an shouldn't have been on a solitary planet in the middle of nowhere. I think he should have just been like a broken man. Because I think it, he should because could his, could his, could his, his new Jedi army went wrong. And I think maybe Kylo Ren went to hunt him down and Luke Skywalker's mind was just so torn that it was, you know, it was gone and nobody could get a hold of him. And he's not actually in solitary. He's just, maybe he's just so fucking traumatized. Maybe, that he's, he's, maybe he's just hiding, hiding somewhere in plain sight. And yeah, he's not even hiding on purpose. You know what I mean? Like he's so traumatized that maybe he's like forgotten everything. And he's just lapsed, and he's now he thinks he's some moisture farmer back on Tatooine. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's obviously not a very strong storyline, but I think it's a bit better than like I, I, making I th- the plot. I think if you've got like a a Jedi army that he was building that's been cast that's fallen apart because he fell apart, then the the dynamic should be trying to get that Jedi army back together. And he's a broken man, but he's involved in Part Seven. Ray finds him earlier on, and and you know needs you know, needs information that he's got or whatever he's got, names of the people, do you know what I mean? That they need to mm-hmm. go and find, you know, and realise that only he, if only he back to his best is going to rally the troops, do you know what I mean? That's that's the, um, and then, you know, through through eight, you, you give that an arc as well. But like you say, it's got to all be tied together. It needs to be a bit more interesting than he's just been living on a planet for 20 years because he's sad that everyone... He had a nightmare about Pado Ren tried to kill him and then gave up. And you've been sad about that for 20 years that you did not give a fuck when people were destroyed by the Death Star. You didn't give a fuck when all these people died trying to help you defeat uh, Palpatine. You know what I mean? Like That's just a really lame storyline. Yeah. Um... So yeah, that's and then I suppose we've covered a lot of what we would do with number nine in that I wouldn't have Palpatine. I would. I mean, nine I, nine's got to be the culmination of the storylines that we've described. I think what you do is, in the end, in, in in nine, you still have the giant Jedi army that's probably escalated into it's a Sith army that's escalated into a big, um, a big battle, and then you finally Luke and Ray between them get a Jedi army together, right? And yeah. may, maybe 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 Leia does that as well because if Leia is training Ray as, or finishing Ray's training as a Jedi in part in part nine, if you're exploring the fact that she's got the Force, she can be involved in that as well, right? But a big battle between a large number of good Jedi and a large number of bad Jedi that I think is a big culminating, you know, like the big battle at the end of Avengers Endgame. Do you know what I mean? The massed battle of of of, of Jedi versus Sith is something that hasn't been seen before. That should yeah. be the culmination of episode nine. You bring everything from seven and eight to a head in nine. That's that's what I think we should do. Yeah, I think what we've said there would be a lot more interesting than just whatever they fucking shat out and vomited anyway. It's obviously uh, they, they, it's they, annoying. They, they don't stand. They actually they're, they're three separate films that tried to connect to each other. They're not actually a trilogy. Yeah, the, there's just a lot of lame stuff. They didn't flesh out characters. They rushed it. They just didn't do a very good job. Um, Personally, uh, yeah. there's probably people out there that absolutely love them, but no, they are not for me. Yeah. Well, that's where. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we do with with, with seven eighty nine. I think that's where we go with it. So, listen, I think I think we've covered what we wanted to cover, mate, haven't we? Yeah, I think we've given everything a fair, a so, fair hearing. So we've enjoyed Second Chance Cinema, and what we're probably going to do, not at this level of detail, but going forward, probably when we do a remake hate watch, we'll throw in a remake restoration where we say, and you know, far, you know, in a few minutes. 
what could we do in this space? Because I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed going back over films that could have been done better. And every time just, we have an idea, we can throw yeah. it in. Just pick one, and then we go, right? Yeah. Maybe just give ourselves five minutes instead of an yeah. entire hour. Instead <laughs> of an entire hour. I agree. But yeah, thank you for suggesting this, mate. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, no worries. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited in Audacity and hosted on Anchor FM. We are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Annihilation is available to watch on Netflix. For more on Terry Gilliam's The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, you can watch Lost in La Mancha and see what happened to the Johnny Depp version, or watch the 2018 completed film starring Adam Driver. Outside of Double Reel, you can find us both hosting a non-film-related podcast, The Adamson's Versus. Our latest episode, The Adamsons vs. The Conspiracy Theory, is out now. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off, and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Our next episode will be our regular episode 31 next month. Keep an eye out for any special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. And someone please give Liz Truss a job that doesn't involve the country.